As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hi everyone, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Welcome to Yoga Birth Babies, a podcast produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. We will be diving into everything prenatal yoga, birth, and baby related, hoping to inspire, educate, and empower you through your journey into motherhood. Thank you for listening. Hi, I'm Deb Flaschenberg. I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies, and today we're talking about miscarriage and the I Had a Miscarriage campaign. I have Dr. Jessica Zucker. She's a Los Angeles-based psychologist specializing in women's reproductive and maternal mental health. She is the creator of the I Had a Miscarriage campaign, now a mixed-media, multi-platform effort to replace the antiquated silence with storytelling. And her first book, A Memoir Meets Manifesto, is due out in 2021. So a little bit from here, but I'm extremely excited to read it. So it's going to be, it's a great conversation. I'm really thrilled that we're going to get to hear. And Jessica's so open and giving. It was really lovely to have that that chat. Um, but before we get to that, um, I'm just going to ask if you are enjoying the podcast, if you could leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you listen to, I would greatly, greatly appreciate that. I was actually just looking at the reviews and we have Amber Sawyer from Singapore who left a wonderful and so generous and lengthy review. I'm just going to give you a snippet of it. Um, because it's long and which I appreciated reading. So Amber writes, I love this podcast. Whenever I leave the house, I can't wait to put this podcast on while I commute to my classes or my way home. What started out as listening to one amazing episode quickly launched me into discovering all the incredible content in the series. Deb could simply share her knowledge alone as she's so experienced, full of wisdom, humble, and a joy to listen to. Thank you. And the other episodes with invited guests are packed full of resourceful and relevant information and insights into the birthing community. She continues to go on, but it's such a joy to hear that the work that's being done here and the interviews are helping people or there's, it's impacting them in some manner. And I'm incredibly, incredibly grateful for Amber and everyone that leaves a rating or review and really anyone that listens. All right. Last two things, teacher training. We just came back from Charlotte, North Carolina. What an amazing group of people I'm working with there. 
Um, starting in January and February, I'll be in Washington, D.C., back in New York for the spring, and then back in Richmond, Virginia for the late spring. And also, I just put out uh, Who's Afraid of the Pregnant Yogi. It's my online course for yoga teachers that may not have the background in teaching the pregnant student in class or for prenatal students that just want another perspective and more information. They're lifetime learners. So you can check that out at Who's Afraid of the Pregnant Yogi.com. And teacher training, you can check out at prenatalyogacenter.com. All right, let's take a super quick break and we come back. Enjoy the conversation with Jessica. Every year for my kid's birthday, my mom makes them a photo album of the pictures I sent her throughout the year. And it's fantastic and really a win-win for everyone because I am particularly horrible about executing and organizing projects like this. Now, even though my mom's the one doing the work of making the album, I still have to get her the pictures. And as a busy working mom, sometimes I find that task overwhelming. But this year, I think things are going to be different because I found a free photo sharing app. It's called Family Album. With Family Album, it has been so easy to share photos. I decide who I want my photos shared with, and every time I upload a new picture, my invited guests get a notification that new memories have been added. No more texting pictures, no more trying to shove as many pictures into one email. It has become so streamlined. Organization's also incredibly easy with Family Album since it sorts the pictures by the month taken and tells me how old my kids are in each picture. So I'm trying to get my mom pictures for the album. I I can see, all right, I've got some in November, I've got some in December, I've got some in January. Organization's so much easier. I actually wish I had this app when I was pregnant so I could have watched my pregnancy evolve and seen how my belly grew instead of what I have is just some random pictures and actually not knowing where in my pregnancy I was. My kids also love Family Album because of the one-second movie highlights. Every three months, a short video collage is created using the best photos and video clips I have shared. They love seeing themselves in these movies, and I love seeing how much they've changed in just three months. And Family Album also offers free, unlimited storage. I kid you not when I say I have over 5,000 pictures taking up storage on my phone and computer. By saving them on the Family Album app, I have freed up so much space on my devices, which has been a huge help. And did I mention all these great features and convenient photo sharing opportunities is completely free. Free. Family Album, you can find it through your favorite app store or search Family Album on Google. And remember, Family Album is all one word. So hurry up and go get this free app. Start sharing your memories with the people that you love. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. 
Hi, Jessica. I'm so glad to speak with you today. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, absolutely. I've read about your work. I've heard you on other podcasts. So this is really exciting. And it's an important topic. So it's, it's brave of you to really come out and just talk about your life and your loss and your past. So this is really exciting. I guess we should start with, um, for those that don't know you and your work, if you don't mind just telling me a little bit about yourself and the work that you do. Sure. So I'm a Los Angeles-based psychologist, and I specialize in women's reproductive and maternal mental health and have now for over a decade. And I really came to the field with, you know, a sort of theoretical interest in the topic of women's reproductive health. So everything from pregnancy to pregnancy loss to pregnancy ambivalence uh, to postpartum mood and anxiety disorders Um, All of these things sort of fall under the rubric of what I specialize in. And it wasn't until I went through my own second trimester miscarriage that I really came to understand the topic from a whole new perspective. Uh, So that's really sort of had a huge impact on my personal life, my professional trajectory, and my dedication to this topic overall. Mm-hmm. And then can you also talk about your campaign, the I Had a Miscarriage campaign? Sure, I'd be happy to. Yeah, so when I started the campaign, in all honesty, I really didn't even know what I was doing. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> I think, well, what I set out to do with my first New York Times piece was really to uh, detail my trauma. So really share openly about what I had lived through. And then the second part of the piece, I was, it was sort of a call to action. So I was inviting women and families around the world to do some reflecting on their own experiences. And so my hope in doing that was to really sort of offer a conversation if people didn't feel like they were having it. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it be allowed or even just an internal one. So unfortunately, the research shows that a majority of women report feeling a sense of shame, self-blame, and guilt following pregnancy and infant loss. And so the campaign aims to get at that and to problematize that and to question our cultural silence, you know, this sort of strident trifecta, you know, it's it's time for it to change. And I see there is a zeitgeist shift, you know, when it comes to pregnancy and infant loss these days, there's so much more talk about it. But I think that unfortunately women are still holding on to these ideas and these feelings about themselves. What did I do to create this? Is there something from my childhood even that, you know, um, has somehow, you know, ended in this tragedy for me? Um, or did I do something wrong during the pregnancy? Did I eat the wrong thing? Did I have sex, you know, too often? Um, was it that sip of wine that I had in the first trimester? And so women are scurrying around trying to locate what they may have done wrong. I Uh, totally relate to that. I'm so glad I do. And I, I've had, you know, so I was talking to you a little bit before I had, um, a miscarriage around 11 and a half weeks. And then very, this one right after very early on and the one at 11 and a half weeks. And this is what I do for a living. I mean, prenatal is my thing. And yet there was a few moments that I stepped back. And I'm like, did I do something? 
And and I knew logically. Oh, I knew I didn't. Like I understood that. In fact, as I replayed it all about like with the first doctor visit and the second, like I could see even he was hesitant, like that something wasn't looking right, the doctor. Yeah. And yet even with all this hard knowledge and in history behind me, I, I still took a beat. And I'm like, what, what did I do? Did I do something? And, and I can imagine if people don't have that, they, they do, they blame themselves. But why? Like, that is the thing that I'm so why? dedicated to getting the answer <laughs> the to. Why? I don't understand. Yeah. I feel like this probably pertains to so many women's health issues so that I think that unfortunately women uh, and girls are raised to believe that, you know, they have a hand in anything and everything in terms of its outcome. And I, it gives us a sense, I think, of control that we don't actually have. Mm. Now, part of me thinks that this notion uh, gets paired with pregnancy after pregnancy loss in a way that, that makes some sense like this, like, oh, well, if I miscarried because I exercise too much, that means that in my next pregnancy, I won't exercise at all. And therefore I will get a different outcome, Mm -hmm. which is magical thinking. I mean, it's a really interesting concept that comes into our lives that you usually just see in children, you know? Um, like children think the moon is following them, for example, that's developmentally appropriate, uh, and normative, but it's interesting that we then apply it, you know, during this time in our lives when it really, it just doesn't apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Yeah, I'm just, I keep going back to the why. I'm just going to stuck on that. Like the why yeah. do we? I don't know. I guess it is the control. Like I must have had something to do with it instead of just saying, 
well, my body must have known something that I didn't know. That's right. And that's why, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard to digest kind of that unknown. And it, yeah, it's the letting go of control that it wasn't my control. I didn't actually do anything. It's just the way this particular little person was forming wasn't going to be viable. It's hard. It's hard to, um, to grasp that. But I think that when we do attempt to grasp that, right, that it's normal to have a miscarriage, that one in four pregnancies result in miscarriage, that one in 100 result in stillbirth. Like this is an unfortunate and, you know, potentially tragic outcome of pregnancy, but it is in fact normal. I mean, miscarriage, not right. stillbirth is of course, you know, less frequent. And, um, do you, and so, yeah, I was gonna say, do you think part of that creating an acceptance that it is a normal part like that, you know, you're saying a quarter of pregnancies. And again, some people might not even know that they were pregnant, could be like a, a chemical miscarriage, a chemical right. pregnancy. But do you think part of that is because a lot of people kind of as a culture, we haven't, people keep it quiet until after 12 weeks, like where it's like that vulnerable, quiet time. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly right. Well, so you're bringing up another thing that the campaign took on a couple of years ago where I was really trying to uh, break down these words. So oftentimes we hear from healthcare practitioners, you know, maybe wait until you share your good news. Um, You know, most miscarriages, the majority of them take place within the first trimester. So, you know, maybe wait until uh, you've hit 12 weeks. Well, I feel like that translates into don't share your good news in case it becomes bad news because then you won't have to share your bad news. So I think this actually is very problematic and troublesome because it it actually, you know, uh, encourages silence and it really creates the sense that women should be isolated in the aftermath of loss. Now, again, I don't think that every woman needs to share their pregnancy news, you know, on Instagram, Facebook, wherever the day that she pees on a stick, like it's totally individual. Everybody should do whatever they feel comfortable with. But I am hoping that women are doing it based in what they want and not necessarily something that is culturally normed Mm -hmm. or that they've been told to do by somebody else. You know, it's like, what would you want if this pregnancy goes beautifully and what would you want if it doesn't? Right, Most it, people would say, I want support no matter what. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no cause then they're just to feel alone. Yeah. Cause then they're just sitting with, they didn't tell anyone they're just sitting with it. And then they're like, well, guess what friend? I didn't tell you this, right. but now I'm doing, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so break. it's kind of like a lose, lose to be quiet about it. I think, I mean, it just doesn't make much sense you know? Oh, but going back to what we were saying, I do think also like women tend to personalize things a lot. You know, we were talking about, is it, you know, a lack of control? I think that this idea, like, did I do something wrong is again, something that is nurtured in us from a pretty young age, I think. And when we do see miscarriage as normative, we can let go of some of that. This isn't personal. This isn't something bad about me or my body. Like I, after my miscarriage, I didn't go there at all, honestly. And I, and I talk a lot about this in my forthcoming book. Um, this idea that like, I was relieved to learn that 
there was a chromosomal issue after my 16 week miscarriage because I felt like, oh, my body knew what to do. It would have been helpful if my body knew to do it earlier, maybe. And so it wasn't such a, um, a mess. I mean, I was home by myself when the baby uh. fell out. And so it, my, my situation was incredibly traumatic and heart-wrenching. Uh, and that is a lot of why I got so involved in this topic, because of how changed my life was from, you know, how it all occurred. Um, yeah. So I just, I don't know. I just feel like this is a topic that needs airtime as much as anything else that we talk about. Mm-hmm. Because it is so common and we don't want people to be isolated. What did you personally learn about grief by your own miscarriage and how has that helped you support others going through the same experience? That's such an important, and I, it's such an intimate question. I really appreciate it. I hope it's okay. <laughs> no, it, it's so wonderful. I, you know, it's one thing to talk about the statistics and to talk about what I see in my work. And it's another thing to really put those two together. Uh, and I, it's important. Um, well, the truth is, I feel like I didn't know how traumatized I was until I wasn't. And so... I, my miscarriage took place on a Thursday. Uh, my sister encouraged me to take the next week off from work. I don't even know how I was thinking I was going to come straight back to work. Um, and then I returned to my office that following Monday, uh, and continued sitting with, you know, patients who had either been through similar things or were currently pregnant or whatever the case may be. And I'm a small person. So everybody knew that I was pregnant and, you know, this had a huge effect on all, all the women I was sitting with during that period. And I think I just thought that I needed to keep going. That's not to say that I wasn't feeling my feelings when I had the time to feel my feelings, but, you know, I feel so honored and privileged to do the work that I do. And I, I didn't want to leave these women uh, without me for an extended period of time. And I don't know. I just think like I didn't take my immediate grief as seriously as I wish that I, you know, I, I wish I had. How would you, so if you had, if kind of going to flip the table. So if you had a client or a friend kind of going through this, how do you think you would have urged them to go through the, I don't know, go through the grief or just feel, feel the grief? Well, that's just the thing. It's like, I actually don't think that it's necessarily productive to just lay in your bed all day and feel the grief because we need, you know, we need to feel like our old selves Mm -hmm. to some degree. Right. And so showing up at work, taking a shower and getting dressed or like having some interaction did help me keep going. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like being home alone all day in bed just sounded dreadful. Right, That and would probably make like spiral you more. Exactly. And so it's like, I wouldn't say to someone else anything differently than I said to myself. Mm-hmm. It's just more like what I say to my patients now, it's like, you will look back and, and be sort of amazed at the fact that you were still cobbling your life together mm-hmm. in these initial months in, uh, after the, the loss. I mean, 
we just like do what we have to do, I think, to get through. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, you know, I was already in therapy. And so I upped my sessions after my loss. I began writing more about the topic. And for me, connecting with other people globally around this topic, I think is what helped me the most if I had to choose, you know, uh, I just felt so understood by like, it was through my writing that I then connected with people, uh, who had also been through this Mm -hmm. and that I think we just, we have to feel in community when we are in the midst of grief. I, I just don't think there's any other way to proceed without that. Yes. I wonder if there's, I'm assuming there must be like support groups. Cause I know, um, like there's any, all sorts of loss support groups to find community. Um, you know, like it's true. And the thing is, well, and so, you know, in part, I think that's why I started the campaign. The campaign is really to sort of take on various aspects of life after loss that we need to think more about. Mm-hmm. But then the Instagram page was sort of born out of this hope that, you know, this could be a form of community so that I'm not offering people, you know, one-on-one support like I am in my private practice, but that people could really connect and feel understood through reading other women's stories. And and that really has happened, Mm -hmm. you know, for me and, uh, you know, and some of the women that I work with support groups are not ideal around this topic. Uh, they can be, but for example, I went on to get pregnant uh, a few months after my loss and I was still processing my grief very heavily. I was incredibly, uh, traumatized and anxious through my subsequent pregnancy, but it wouldn't have helped me. I don't think if I had been attending a support group and the woman next to me had, you know, let's say a quote unquote harder story. So like if she had a full term loss, mm-hmm. I think that would then get tucked into my psyche, although this was happening to me at work anyway. So, um, but like, and then I, so I think that these things can create so much fear when you're that vulnerable, when you're feeling that tender, when you're like on the precipice of, you don't know what, when you hear these stories, you know, it can really like lodge something. Right. And it could also maybe create, I'm going to go on a limb here. Maybe jealousy, like, so you did get totally. pregnant and then so-and-so didn't. Because, um, again, right. I remember then after after my miscarriage, I was teaching pregnant students. And there was, again, I was kind of going through all the, the thoughts and emotions, but I was like, why are they pregnant not me? But I, I had to. Yeah, that's it, right. And so. Um, totally. It, yeah. So I want to touch. You kind of went there. I'm going to. And I read some of your articles. So I want to go a little deeper into something you just touched upon. So in one article, you made a great point about pregnancy after loss is returning to that very place of trauma and staying there for nine months. So yeah. you so say it like you're referring to if you were in a support group and you heard about someone losing the baby at, you know, full term, like, how do you get past for you? It was 16 weeks. Like, how did you, how did you get yourself past that point and then trust your body to keep moving forward? This is, I mean, I almost feel like being pregnant after my loss was, you know, 
neared the level of trauma that my loss was. Like it was so intense to live every day in a pregnant body after a 16 week loss. It, it was, I, there's, there are no words almost that I can find to adequately capture the fear level. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did help was, you know, the, the testing showed that this baby was healthy. And because I had had a healthy son in my first pregnancy and getting pregnant wasn't a problem, uh, in any of these, you know, cases, um, I tried to hold on to that, you know, like that this baby is healthy and my body has been pregnant before. And the only reason this miscarriage happened was because this baby was not, this, you know, situation was not viable. But you can be as rational and, you know, trying to be so smart about it with all of the research or the statistics. It doesn't matter. I mean, emotionally, I was, it was so fraught. And I looked for blood every single time I went to the bathroom and it was exhausting. Um, but as I mentioned, you know, I was a mother too and at, already. And so I needed to just keep going. And I guess I just it held on to hope really that this would somehow be different. And the truth is until my daughter, my healthy daughter was, you know, crying in my arms, earth side, I really didn't trust that she would make it. That must have been so hard, like such a heavy load and heart um, to carry and just, yeah, trust that each day we're going to, you're going to get there. I know it was awful. Honestly, I really, I don't, (laughs) I just, uh, it's a laugh because it's like, makes me so uncomfortable to think of how much grief I was trying to sift through and also how much hope I was trying to muster uh, amidst my professional life and motherhood. I mean, it was just too much. Well, you got there. So I appreciate you sharing this. I really do because, (laughs) because a lot of people out there are probably right there. You know, they're Mm. pregnant, they've been there, they're trying just to take it day by day. So what about things not to say to someone who had a miscarriage? I love your pregnancy loss cards. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So the best things to veer away from would be the typical and unfortunate platitudes like, at least, you know, you can get pregnant. Um, This is God's plan. It wasn't meant to be. At least you have a healthy child, Uh, you know, something like, you know, time will help. Like, you know, just just go on to get pregnant again and, and this will fade those kinds of things, you know, or you're young, you know, reassuring people that because of their age, they'll be able to get pregnant again. And, you know, you cannot, we can't make these guarantees. We want to be able to, but we know that we really can't. And I think people say these things coming from such a loving place. I really do. I don't, or they're uncomfortable. (laughs) They don't know what else to say. Exactly. (laughs) I was going to say, it's like, People are saying that really to assuage their own fears and uncomfortability with the topic and the unknown. None of us know anything about much, you know, (laughs) and so we want to be able to sort of concretize something that just we can't, you know, someone being young does not guarantee they're going to have a healthy pregnancy and it's really unfair to them uh, to be told that time and again. 
Yeah, I do with this. Um, what I try to help my students that had a cesarean they weren't expecting, and then people be, and then they would share with me like, "Well, so and so saying, well, at least your baby's healthy." And of course, they're saying, "Yes, that's true," but they also could feel traumatized because the birth went in such a different direction. So it feels invalidating in some way. I know. I find it just fascinating that why can't we hold both? Like, why can't we? You know talk about and share a grief or a trauma or a disappointment while also knowing that we are lucky to have what we have, you know? And, um, I just kind of find it fascinating how minimizing that can be. Well, at least you have a healthy baby. Well, that's not the point of what I'm talking about. You know, of course I'm thrilled that my baby is healthy, but I'm suffering because I just had a C-section or whatever the person is talking about, you know? So I, it's, yeah, I, I think you're right that it, it's because people are so uncomfortable. They just say these things maybe to end the conversation. I don't know. Yeah. We, in teacher training, we talk a lot cause I do a lot of prenatal yoga teacher training about the idea of not trying to shut them down, but just hold the space. And again, none of us are, I mean, some people that have done the training are therapists, but we're not therapists and trying to solve or even give advice. We're just letting them we're just holding the space and listening. And sometimes that's what people need just to, just to, so they can say something that maybe they have been shut down other places to say. And that's why I created these cards because if you can't find the words yourself, then I was trying to create the antidote to that. So here are these cards. Some are irreverent. Some are very soft and gentle and they all get at different aspects of the way that women report feeling in mm-hmm. the aftermath of loss. So are you angry? Are you, you know, wanting to stay in bed? Are you wanting to overeat? Are you wanting to, you know, the, and we need the language because what hurts the most is when people are silent mm-hmm. after you've just gone through something so transformative. Mm. Absolutely. Can you talk a bit about the gestation of pregnancy and how that may impact grief and the healing process? So perhaps somebody that lost later in compared to someone that lost earlier, or is there a comparison? I'm so glad you brought that up because I have found, especially through my Instagram page, uh, it's been so enlightening for me to learn this. It doesn't always, uh, it doesn't always matter how long somebody was pregnant in terms of how that matches up with level of grief. So for example, I sometimes see people commenting on my page who had, you know, six, seven, eight week losses, uh, first trimester. And, and maybe it was 10 years ago, maybe it was 15 years ago, maybe it was 20 years ago. And they talk about still feeling the pain. And so I think that that is such an important place to pause for culture, for all of us to really think about like, there doesn't need to be a grief hierarchy. We don't need to compare and contrast our losses, you know? And of course, somebody who has a full-term loss is going to be affected differently than somebody who there's no heartbeat at the first exam. I mean, yes. However, the way that this gets tucked into somebody's life and the way that they proceed in their relationship and in a subsequent pregnancy, if they go on to have one, those, you know, we, we don't know. It just so depends on people's, you know, family histories, their mental health histories. Uh, yeah. And their, you know, the social support that they have in their lives. 
Yeah, no, I'm so glad that you you did comment on that because sometimes I could imagine someone saying to someone else like, "Oh, you were only so and so weeks apart. I was this far apart." Like, and yeah, and creating a hierarchy. So can you talk about how to accept and re-embody one's postpartum body after pregnancy and loss? Because, like you said, you're a small person. People knew you were pregnant, and then not, and then you're you know the body's still pro- it's still postpartum, I know. and then you it's- don't have the baby. It must. It's horrifying. It's just the, it, it's one of the worst feelings to walk around in a body that thinks it's pregnant or just was the day before. Uh, you know, my milk came in, I was bleeding for weeks, you know, and it's like, what, all for what? It's, it's terrible. Um, so it's hard for me to answer the question about like, how do we accept that? Because I don't even know if we, we can, (laughs) uh, or live in that body. (laughs) Yeah. Living in that body is sort of like, again, it's this, like, I don't have a choice. I have to keep going one day at a time. Hopefully women attempt to be gentle with themselves. Like I feel yucky. Of course I do. Like, hopefully this doesn't become a new way for people to, you know, get harsh with themselves and, um, you know, get really taken down by body image related stuff, but it does happen, you know, and again, it depends on how far along you are, but even somebody who is pretty newly pregnant because of the hormones that pulse, you know, so quickly, it's like their boobs may have been hurting and they were bigger and now they're bigger, but, but for no reason or whatever it is, um, and especially women who are very attuned to the changes in their body, I think it can be incredibly befuddling to have to keep walking around in your skin and not have a baby to show for it. Yeah, I'm just trying to visualize. Like, I just remember thinking when I, um, again, I hope I'm not talking too much about myself. When I was, when I did have that one, I've had, you know, so I mentioned it too, but. I stopped breastfeeding immediately. So I was breastfeeding my son still when I was had the miscarriage with my other one. And I just immediately needed my body back. Like I just, yeah. I couldn't share it. And so I stopped breastfeeding immediately and it was painful. Um, and so I'm imagining someone's milk coming in just being, yeah. it's just painful and a painful physical situation as well as an emotional reminder. Exactly. The blood was like the hardest part for me because it just wouldn't stop. It felt like it went on for so long. Well, it does go on for a while. Yeah. And the breast milk was interesting for me. It was sort of like a reminder though, too, that like how much my body worked. Like it was like, oh, how beautiful and crazy that my body was ready to feed a baby. I mean, the baby's not here. It's not like the the body didn't get the memo yet, you know, but it's like my body was ready to nurture a little person, you know? So it was really, it, yeah, but it was so emotional. I mean, just to have, uh, you know, liquid coming and no one to give it to. It was terrible. I can imagine this also could affect how, if someone is coupled, how this, struggle or this loss can create 
maybe, I don't know, a divider or just a challenge. So what advice would you give to a couple navigating pregnancy loss since this experience may put pressure or distance in the relationship, especially, I guess, around intimacy, rediscovering intimacy? Mm. Yeah, I've written a lot about that recently, actually. Um, Yeah, well, I I had a pretty rough time communicating you know, diligently, uh, after my loss, I felt like my husband and I were pretty far apart. And so what I would advise people to do, but it's easier said than done is really to try to have an open dialogue around the pain and around the feelings. Uh, and so maybe even just allotting time every day, even if it's five or 10 minutes at the end of the day, maybe to touch base and really listen to each other. Uh, you know, like I said, we were already parents. And so it was really hard to actually find the time. And I think I became pretty resentful quickly because I felt like he wasn't necessarily trying to understand the gravity of this, or I thought, you know, well, look at you, you get to go back to work without a postpartum body and and I don't. And, um, what's interesting is months and months later, maybe even a year later, we, we revisited all of this and it, you know, it turns out he was scared beyond belief. And so the way that he, my husband, you know, dealt with this was really just to try to stay day to day and try to remain like very practical. It's like, okay, the baby wasn't healthy. We're moving on, you know, and, but not in a way to sort of minimize the complexity and the enormity of it all, but it was just that he couldn't, I don't know. He just didn't want to be taken all the way down. And I, I get it now. It's just like in those initial few weeks, it felt very, I felt pretty lonely. Uh, and confused. Um, so yeah, so I do think ideally people listen to each other because of course the partner is having a lot of their own experience, you know, their own feelings as well. And we, we just need to listen. I think that's good advice for probably everything. <laughs> listen, <Yeah. laughs> listen a little yeah. bit more. Just listen. <laughs> I know. Is there right. anything I haven't asked that you think is really important on this topic? Hmm. Let's see. Maybe I covered it. Well, what? <laughs> what? I said maybe I covered it all. <laughs> no, that's great. I mean, you really did. I'm trying to think if there's any piece though of this puzzle that um because it's such yeah, an emotional well, place. One thing I would say it's like your grief is yours, you know, and. I think it's important to almost have a relationship with it. I think that the more we try to stave it off, the longer we are suspended in it. Mm -hmm. And so I would really encourage people to sort of like lean into the grief because it will not last forever, at least not in this state, you know, not in this way. Um, And you're entitled to it. Like I feel like people don't know that they're allowed to stay in it And so many patients ask me like, but when will this be done? Like, when can I, when will the grief end? And it's like, it probably, it, it might not, you know, it might morph into something else. It's going to change for a while. Time can be helpful. Um, but I think that 
it's important that we get more comfortable in this grief so that we allow ourselves to actually be where we truly are and honor what we went through. Do you find if you say that to someone like, when does this grief end? Well, it may not, it will change. Do you think that scares people? Because my first reaction is like, oh, oh, that sounds overwhelming well, and scary. Look, I, I don't say that to everyone. <laughs> this is like somebody who had an infant loss, for example. Okay, yeah. that, that's just true for them. I mean, that the, the grief of that and the trauma of that really, uh, we shouldn't expect to go away. Mm. But yeah, I mean, I, I don't know that. Yeah. I mean, with somebody like an earlier loss, I, I don't say, oh, it'll never end. <laughs> um, but I, I just encourage people to be with it. Well, what are you feeling now? You know, yeah. it's like, well, what did you feel yesterday? You know, because our, our near history, you know, like yesterday can give us a window into what tomorrow might be. So mm-hmm. if yesterday you were feeling terribly, maybe today you're feeling a bit better. Tomorrow it might be not great again. Like we don't, it's like, but my point is that time does change things yes. and that we are resilient. Even if we don't want to be, sometimes we do keep going Yes, and yeah. we owe it to ourselves to keep going even in the darkness, you know? Yes. Especially also with another child you have to care for. Like you said, you have oh. one. Yeah. you have one. Yes. All right. Yeah. We're going to take a super quick break when we come back. Because you are a parent, you've been doing this for a while, and you've been your therapist. One tip or piece of advice you'd like to offer new or expectant parents? Okay, we'll be right back. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, we're back. One tip or piece of advice for new or expectant parents? Well, I think... You know, one very important thing is to maintain yourself, Mm. right? So it's so easy for us to lose ourselves in this new identity and we should, you know, like there's something so powerful and wonderful and that's so transformative and, and babies are sort of, um, you know, this new life is so all encompassing and yet we have to remember to look after ourselves. And it, it could even be something as simple as just showering every day. I often tell my patients with new babies, like, just be sure to take a shower every day in this, you know, newly postpartum period. Why? Because it's a sense of, you know, actually, like, literally cleansing Taking ourselves. care of yourself, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's taking care of your own body. And it can be too easy to fall into, you know, a 
postpartum depression or postpartum anxiety or whatever, um, you know, especially if we're not looking after ourselves. So that, that's one, I think that's it's a really seemingly sp- simple tip. I don't know how simple it actually is, but yeah, just looking after ourselves, being aware. It's like taking your emotional temperature. How am I doing? You know, and as you know, postpartum blues are very normal and happen in like over 80% of, of women. And that's sort of within the first four weeks, I think, or maybe they've shortened that to two weeks. But, you know, if your mood doesn't seem to fit with who you are and you're seeing new things in yourself, uh, it's important to be sure other people know about it and to to get some help. That I love that. That's a fantastic piece of advice. And I love that taking your emotional temperature. I, I think I'm going to steal that. I will credit oh, you, good. but I'm going to steal that. <laughs> oh, yes, please do. And where can people find your work? You talked about you have another book coming out. Oh, your first book, your first book. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's not coming until March, 2021, but you got a bit of time. (laughs) Yeah, I know, but I'm just going to pretend like it's sooner than it is. Uh, but people can find me on Instagram at I had a miscarriage and my website is drjessicazucker.com. And you've written a ton because I've read a lot of your articles, so I'll make sure I link to some of that too. Oh, that'd be great. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for spending a little time with me today and talking about this incredibly important and intimate and personal topic and conversation. Thank you so much. And thank you for opening up about your experiences as well. Oh, thanks. All right. Enjoy your day. Be well. (laughs) Bye. Bye. This has been an episode of Yoga Birth Babies, produced by Prenatal Yoga Center. You can catch us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Periscope. I'm Deb Flaschenberg. Thanks for listening.